Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. Brad Wilson, welcome. Glad to have you with us again this week as we continue this session, this study from Warren Litzman on Out of Law into Grace. So interesting and so important, everything that he's breaking down and bringing to all of us in this great, great teaching. Thank you for the correspondence we've been getting. I know that uh, everybody has really been enjoying this great study, and uh, we hope you'll tell your family and friends about it as well and to tune in to our podcast. You can go to the website, christ-life.org, and you can download the podcast from their previous podcast or wherever podcasts are heard. Now, let's get into today's session. Here's Warren. Wisdom. I'm going to give you five things that will help you to understand the wisdom of grace. Things that Paul said, never disconnected from the in Christ message, always used in reference to a statement in Christ or any of these things. Number one. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, he gives a benediction using the terms body, soul, and spirit. Now, while he is the only one that does that in the scriptures, it is an important key because he is the only one in the scriptures. He is speaking from a foundation that came to him through the revelation that Jesus gave him And he says that the human being is body, soul, and spirit. Now hear this. That's how a human being is put together. Body, soul, and spirit. Everything Paul writes about is based on that foundationally. You understand that? For instance, in 2 Corinthians 1 and 10, Paul talks about our deliverance. You don't have to turn to that, but write that scripture down. You need to know it exists. That scripture says, we are delivered. What is that? That's our salvation. Where does that salvation take place? In spirit. Where is the only place you have been perfectly delivered by God? In your spirit. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Christ has swallowed you up. He is your life. Paul would say the life I now live is Christ. Or he would put it in other words and say Christ liveth in me. What has he done? He has sealed that thing in the spirit. Christ lives in me. Notice, and when Paul talks, he never says Christ spirit every time. He just says Christ because that's the overwhelming thing that happened, not just the thing of the spirit, but now you can reference it to Jesus himself. Christ lives in me. How? By his spirit. Now, what is spirit? Spirit is who you are. Not what you are. Spirit is who you are. So when I talk about Christ living in me, I'm not talking about something he's done. I'm talking about something he is. He is that. 
So the first thing you need to reverence in coming into grace is this simple fact that I'm three-parted. I'm body, soul, and spirit. Well, now, when I get saved, my spirit is perfectly taken care of. Never have to worry about that again. It's perfect. It's perfect. Seven times, Paul uses the word perfect talking about a believer. And all seven of these times from the new Bibles dating all the way back to King James, they have changed that word because that irked translator more than any other thing. They changed the word perfect to perfecting or growing up, maturing. They missed the purpose of the use of that from the original because the original stressed the perfect. Why did it do it? Because Christ was the life of the believer, how could you present him any less than perfect in you? If you could present Christ any less than perfect, then you don't know him. So it's not talking about the human being being perfect. It's talking about the saved believer who has Christ in him and Christ has been joined to his spirit and he stands perfect before God. Quickly, I'll give you the references for this. Write it down if you ever want to argue with it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2 and 6. Philippians 3 and 15. Colossians 1 and 28. Colossians 4 and 12. Hebrews 13 and 21. 2 Timothy 3 and 17. 1 Peter 5 and 10. These words perfect end with a blessed scripture in Colossians that says the obligation of everyone is to be able to present all men perfect before God. Well, now, I want to tell you that has nothing to do with religion. That has nothing to do with doctrine. Because we'll never get doctrine straightened out. Uh, somebody brought it up to me yesterday. If we had four churches sitting at an intersection on four corners, we would have one that baptized in water, ducking you all the way. We would have one who say, just a little sprinkle of water is all you need to be baptized. Another one to say, you don't need water baptism at all if you are born to a member of this church. You are already saved. Another would say, it don't matter how you're baptized. Come on and be one of us. There's nobody going to be perfect there in their understanding. They're going to all be different because they got different premise. They have a different foundation. You say, what about your foundation? I finally had to get rid of all of that and say, Paul is the one who laid the final foundation. Amen. He is the master of grace. He's not Jesus. Don't mistake me. Any more than Moses was God. But they are both paralleled in bringing us the truth. 
So the first thing you need to see and know is that we are saved now in spirit. But back to 2 Corinthians 1 and 10. It says we are delivered. That's our salvation in spirit. The next line says we are being delivered. Now I'm paraphrasing this, but it's there like this. We are being delivered. Where are we being delivered? In soul. Every day our souls are being saved a little more. And that never will be a perfect situation. Do you get it? You'll never be perfect in your soul. Don't use that as an excuse, as an excuse Paul would say. But just mark it down. You're being saved in soul. That's happening every day to you. What is this kind of salvation have to do salvation of the soul John mentions it and, and I think Paul mentions it in Hebrews what does a salvation of the soul have to do with anything that's where your love affair is your love affair is in the soul I stand perfect in spirit I don't really have to do anything to make that work that's Christ alive in me but in my soul, I got a lot of problems with mind, will, emotions, and how I do things. So when I hear somebody that gets off on a subject that's contrary to Paul's gospel, my first thought is, well, they're not saved in their soul yet. And that bothers them a little because every church talks about salvation of the soul while the scripture teaches salvation of the spirit. We're saved in spirit, not soul. So we're being saved in soul. Then the last line of that verse says, we will be delivered. Three tenses of salvation. We will be delivered. What is that? That's the body. So Paul talks about body, soul, and spirit. You will be delivered in body one of these days. Coming into grace, you have to understand that this body will never be perfect like your spirit. You'll never be perfect. And a lot of people stumble over that because they say, well, if I'm really saved, then my body ought to be really saved. Nope. That's where your love affair is. You want your body to manifest God's salvation, then live what it is you know. Practice what it is you know. Do what you know to do that comes from the scriptures, not from your own ideas. That's the first step. Now let's move on. Second step is that when you move out of law into grace, you get the cross properly fixed in your understanding. The cross. I like to talk about the cross as a finished work. Important words that Jesus said on the cross was, it is finished. What was finished? Everything God planned before the world was created was finished. Two things could take place now 
that there was a cross. Two things. Number one, it was planned before the world was created that every human would be placed in Christ. How did the cross finish that? God never placed anybody in the cross, in, in Christ, until the cross. Nobody could be put in Christ before the cross. Why? It took the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse them, and it took the cross to kill out their own nature, knowing this, that our old man, old nature, is crucified with Christ. That's the first thing. Took the cross. To prepare them. But something else important happened that has nothing to do with us. And that was now that Christ had willingly given himself as God's lamb, he fixed it so God would have the right, aside from law, to do what he wanted to do. He could now birth his own children. He could never do that under the law because none of them ever matched what was needed under the law to be a birth child of God. Nobody could. So 2 Corinthians 1 and 10 becomes important. We are saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be saved. In fact, Paul mentions that one time that we're not yet fully saved. A lot of people take that to mean, well, we need to add something to it so we can get fully saved. No, that's Paul saying that in your soul and in your body, salvations take place. In fact, he mentions that on one occasion when he, mentions, when he talks about being saved, that the resurrection will complete our salvation. Point number three. You can never move into grace without Hebrews 4 and 12. I'm talking about pure grace now. You'll never move into pure grace without Hebrews 4 and 12. For the Word of God is sharp and powerful, my paraphrasing, more so than any two-edged sword dividing soul and spirit. I hope you can see by what I have said here this morning, the reason why it was important for Paul to say you divide soul and spirit. Because Paul would let it be known that your soul will never match your spirit. Christ is your spirit. Your soul is you doing things. You'll never match the two. Now he says, how do you separate soul and spirit? By the word of God. What's happened to us in religion? I was a part of it. I did it. I know about it. We set up doctrinal statements about what you needed to do to be in fellowship, to join this church, or to be a Christian, or to go on in God. Uh, nowadays they're making them sign a covenant of all things that they're going to do this or that. Listen to me. You divide soul and spirit and your worship will be under Christ whose death is applied to your spirit. 
Your life over here is where you make decisions. God will not take decision making away from you. It'll never be taken away from you. You'll always make decisions. And what decisions do is plot or plan your life on this earth. Your decisions have planned your life on this earth. Like a man said to me, yeah, I saw that. He said, I married that woman, I think he said, 55 years ago. And he said, I've had to live with it ever since. <laughs> your decisions plan your life for you. You understand that? Some of you made bad money decisions. You're still paying for it. Every fellow that goes to prison made bad decisions. They're paying for it. Why doesn't God save us from all that? It's because it's a soulish thing where you made the decision. If you had loved Him, if you had known Christ was in you and that He was the object of your love and not a new car, not a home, not money, if you had loved Him, you wouldn't have to live out bad decisions. So Paul says, I don't want people running around saying they're half saved because they did something wrong. Because that's a reflection on the cross of Jesus Christ. When God saved them, he saved them by that cross and they are saved, period. Amen. There's no more salvation to come to them. They're saved. How can they do any more? There were folks who lived in Christ's day who wanted them to do more. And you know what Paul said? You're not going to crucify him again. If you don't get out of his first death what's coming to you, you can't make him die again. You can't kill him again by your religion and your doctrine. He'll not die again. He died once and for all for sin. You accept that. And when I hear people talking about trying to have a religion that has no sin in it, what they have really done is destroy the cross. Yeah. They're enemies of the cross. Well, you're going to have some sin. You're going to fail God. If a man saith he hath no sin, he lies, John said. And the truth is not in him. So Paul said we're going to separate soul and spirit. We're going to do it by the Word of God. The Word of God to spirit says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The same word Double-edged sword says, if any man sins, he has an advocate with the Father. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses, present tense, from all sin. Two-edged sword. Sad to say, some of you, and me included perhaps, are never going to stop having sin here and there. But my salvation doesn't depend on that. So the fellow that has sin that's unconfessed without a birthing, he won't make it. But the Word of God separates sin and the cross, soul and spirit. That's why living in the Word is important to you. Because that signifies what is in our soul. You'll never move into pure grace without rightly dividing. In all my pastoring experience, which is not a whole lot, 
But in all my pastoring experience, God always allowed me to have two or three people in the congregation who were never saved. I mean, we had them to pray the prayer a dozen times. We set them up in the scriptures a dozen times. I did everything I could. But as sure as they got loose and talked to somebody, they said, pray for me. I don't think I'm really saved. The Lord let me have those people and it helped to tender me. <laughs> knowing that I couldn't solve everybody's problem. But when I came to the knowledge of the Christ life, I saw the importance of Hebrews 4 and 12 here that, that the Word of God is what separates soul and spirit. Not my idea, not what I think. So I don't have to set up a new religion like they're trying to do now without sin in it. I don't have to do that. Let's go to point four. I, I, you can see I'm getting to the end. I said there's five. Second Timothy 2 and 15. You'll never come to pure grace except you rightly divide the Word of God. Rightly dividing the scriptures. Now this is the most confused verse of scripture I usually find from commentators. They really do a tap dance on this scripture. They tap all over it by explaining every word, giving us Greek for every word, but never telling us what to do, how to handle it. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The unashamed believer has come to the place that he can rightly divide the word of truth. You mean you separate some scripture yourself? No, the scripture speaks for itself. Any question you ever have about God's word is answered by God's word. If you expected me to answer it, all I'd do is take you to the scriptures. And if we don't understand those scriptures, okay, put it on a shelf. Set it aside. Because what you don't understand now, you'll understand later. So the big thing Paul had in mind here was like in his writing of the book of Romans. The book of Romans starts out just wonderful. First uh, eight, nine, eight chapters tell you how to live, tell you about the grace of God better than any other place in the scriptures. And then you hit verse, or chapter 10, 11 and 12, and what does he do? He carries us into a whole other world. He carries us into what Judaism is and how folks that are joined to Judaism need to do this and that. One thing he does, he gets everybody lost, and people in Judaism never felt like this lost. Under the law, if they kept the law, they were never lost. So one of the things Paul gives us is that all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's he doing? He's not trying to tell we Gentiles we're sinners. We know that. We never had a background. We never had an Abraham. We never had a David. We never had anybody in our background. We were heathen. But he wanted somebody that was Jewish, Judaistic in their doctrine to know that being Judaistic and a Jew no longer saved you. If you were just born into the Jewish family, 
That saved you. You were one of them, chosen, but no more. Since the cross, no more is a Jew saved by being a Jew. He had to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ like everybody else. Why? Their salvation is tied to the cross just like a Gentile's. So what do you do? Well, you can skip over those three chapters if you want to. But if you study them, don't be deceived by them. Don't say that in those chapters there's something different than is in the eighth chapter of Romans, which is a glorious chapter. Rightly divide them. In your mind, rightly divide them. Don't ever say it isn't the Word of God. Just rightly divide them. It's not to you. Amen. There are things in the book of Hebrews not to you. There are certain things in 2 Corinthians that are not to you. So what did Paul say? Rightly divide the Word of truth. In other words, you've got to know your Bible well enough to know there's a difference between the church of Jesus Christ born again and the Jew who has never been born again and will not even come to full salvation until Jesus comes back to this earth. Rightly divide the scriptures. Get them, get them fixed. But don't be like some people where they take scripture that belongs to them and say, well, I decided that's not to me. Don't do that. You'll come into pure grace when you're able to take the scriptures directly to you. Number five, the end. It presented a whole new way of living, devoid of law living. It presented a whole new way of living. For instance, when you come into pure grace, prayer is different than how Jesus of Nazareth presented it. He said, go to, go to your prayer room or... Uh, don't be like the Pharisees and be openly uh, trying to tell everybody you're a prayer warrior and so forth. What happens? Paul teaches that every word you speak comes from the mind of Christ, good or bad, because that mind belongs to him. What happens to your prayer life? You get it to the place that every word you speak is like a prayerful word. Amen. Careful of your tongue. Careful of your speech. I'm still growing in this. But I found out when I'm in a business deal to remember that it is Christ in me that I manifest in my words. So I have no place for being angry and cursing at somebody, setting somebody down, upsetting somebody thinking I've done a glorious thing because I'm trying to come to the place to where my very speech is like a prayer. Why? I'm in a non-separated state from Jesus. I'm in a non-separated state from him. I don't have to beat on the floor or scream and holler at God trying to get his attention. He's my life. He lives in me. My very words are like a prayer. Like I said, I'm not perfect at this, but that's where I'm growing because that's pure grace. 
I can afford for somebody to run me down, ridicule me, fuss at me. Because I'm a different person. In pure grace, I can take it. You see, I've come to the place that I know who I am. You don't know who I am because you watch my outer display. What I say and the way I think in the words. But with Christ in me, I'm careful of what I say. There are times I'd rather keep my mouth shut than enter into a discussion. Because my very words are like a prayer to me now. Well, Jesus had all sorts of events in his life. And one of them was he got angry, but he said, you better not let the sun go down on your anger. That's the way you ought to live. That's the way many people in the Christ life are making a witness. On the job, everybody jumps on them. They maintain the stability that Jesus lives in me. I know who I am. So they don't enter to the same discourse with the rest of them. They're careful what they say and do. I want our children to be like that in school because in most schools you're going to now, they, they're like some churches. They're cursing in them and making all sorts of bad things. I can't, I can't take that. I have Jesus in me and my words are like a prayer. That's, that's the first place you see change when pure grace takes hold. Though they slay me, yet will I love him. That's hard to do, you see. It's hard to let it work out of you. Most of what I say is what's taking place in you. But this is where it becomes outward. When you leave the law and move into grace, the way you do things are exemplified by the Christ that is in you. You don't stand there and say, what would Jesus do? You stand there and say, this is who I am. Like you're making the decision whether I'm a Christian or not, whether Christ lives in me or not. No, he's already there and he's never going to leave you or forsake you. Amen? Time to quit. How is it, dear? Um, well, they'll need that to get up out of their chairs. <laughs> Steve, you would like to purchase a uh, book, uh, CDs, DVDs. Um, could y'all meet them out there? I'll, if you, I'll, okay. Does anybody would like to? I'll be to the bookstore with them. And I'll meet you here. After we eat is when okay, we'll do that. We after we eat, well, I'll meet you out there and help you. And uh, is there a way you want to tell us to order the CDs of this meeting? Yeah, if, if um, how many? 25. It'd be uh, five of them. How much for shipping? Mm, yeah. It'd be about three dollars. He, he said three dollars for shipping, but let's do twenty-nine dollars. I mean that covers the cost. 
for five CDs. Okay, that'd be the, the set. Yep. Let's, let's round off a 30 that'll cover the album, okay? We'll, put, we'll give it to you in an album, five CDs, $30. Now, who, who will have a list for me? Uh, will you get a list? Okay. Dear Jackie here, we'll get a list. Now, hold on, everybody. Don't leave because we've got an important moment yet. It's important to us at the kitchen that we don't have all of you over there at the coffee pot. There's a, there's a pot of coffee out here and it's leaded. Those of you who need leaded coffee is out there. <laughs> I'll have some decaf here in a little bit, but just kind of have some fellowship. There's a nice big space out there and we'll, we'll call you to supper. Robbie, the, the name badges would be good just to... Uh, yeah. Okay, Frank says he'll collect the badge. Hold it a minute, Frank. Hold it. We're not through in here yet. Okay, I'm sorry. Rebecca, would you come pick these up, please? Thank you, dear. <laughs> I hope you all want to come back again. Please bear in mind that this is our first big stab at this. So, you know, we, we learn as we go. A lot of things we will smoothen out with the next one. <laughs> Hope you all want to come back. Amen. Uh, there's a little basket over here. It's an Easter egg basket. <laughs> if you would like to place your Easter eggs in there, that's fine. That's what it's for, for the offering. You're the grandest group of people. I know. Very blessed, every one of you. Please let Jesus be you as we leave this place today. Reach over and take your neighbor by the hand. Take your neighbor by the hand. Look your neighbor in the eye and say, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you, in your life and all that you do. I see Jesus in you because I see Jesus in me. I see Jesus in me, in my life and all that I do. I see Jesus in me. Now hug every neck you can until we meet together again. God bless you. We'll stop here, but pick up right where we left off next week as we continue this wonderful teaching session from Warren Litzman on Out of Law into Grace. So important. And we really want to encourage you again to tell your family and friends about this. It's a very important message, one of the most important I think you'll ever hear, this whole teaching session on Out of Law into Grace. If you go to our website, christ-life.org, Christ life.org you can find all of our podcasts there and get some of these leading up to this session today on Out of Law Into Grace. Well, we'd like to certainly thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives this week and every week to bring you these wonderful teaching sessions from Warren. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And the program is produced weekly by Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. 
Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, Loving the Christ Life.